everybody. Welcome to Vibrant Visionaries. This is Heidi Bennett, and this is my podcast where I talk with immensely creative, multi-creative, super talented filmmakers, artists, musicians, cartoonists, comedians, all sorts of interesting folk. And this is the first of several interviews I got to conduct during Fantastic Fest, which this year was called Celebration of Fantastic Fest, and it was a whole online event that I was so happy to be able to cover. I had 15 minutes exactly to talk with writer and director Maria Bissell about her film, How to Deter a Robber. So after she answers my final question, I really wrap it up fast. And so if you're wondering what that's about, it's because we're on a deadline. I really enjoyed this comedy caper, and I think it would be a really great holiday film to watch. It's got kind of a dark comedy vibe to it. It is really a lot of fun, and I look forward to seeing how it gets distributed so that we can all enjoy it. I'm going to share a little bit of a clip here to set the tone. It stars Vanessa Morano, Chris Mulkey, Sonny Velicenti, Jonah Ray, Benjamin Papak, and a few other folks, but those were some of the people that really stood out to me. <laughs> Super fun. Uh, yeah, just definitely something I could see popping on every holiday season when things get a little bit snowy. It was beautifully shot, great music, great sound design. And speaking of music, the composer for this film, he will be a guest in a future episode. And uh, so yeah, enjoy this clip and enjoy my conversation with writer-director Maria Bissell. Oh my God. Do you think anyone else is in here? Is anyone in here? Me. We weren't this high last night. Press our TV. I think they were robbed. Do you think they got our weed? Shit. The gremlin prostitute's gone. How did we sleep through a robbery? Odak's revenge. Okay, well, we, we, we have to call the police. What? No, 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 no. We can't call the police. We'll get in trouble for breaking and entering. Ah, uh, no, we won't. But we did. We're trespassers. We won't break our stuff. Yeah, but our broken laws less bad than the robber's broken laws, so we're good. Can we just talk about this law? Well, Jimmy, no. Jimmy, no. So why did you guys dress up for Christmas? So Maria Bissell, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. So I just finished watching How to Deter a Robber. <laughs> mm -hmm. So much fun. And I actually started rewatching it this morning and was laughing even harder, <laughs> just sort of like, taking in all the relationships and everything. So thanks for taking a few minutes to talk with me about it. Yeah, no, thank you for wanting to talk about it. And thank you for watching it again. That's such a big compliment that someone would want to like just watch it another time is great. Oh, yeah. So yeah, on that note, and you know, this, there will be no spoilers here, but I really felt like your film was going to be an instant 
classic. Like, just put it in there. It's going to be one of those holiday rewatches. This is so, so much fun and so uh, playful. And just the music was fantastic. And so I just wanted to ask you, what was it like now that you've birthed your baby, <laughs> your feature film? What does it feel like now to be on the other the other end of that, having it be released? I mean, it's exciting to have people actually see it. And I mean, it's nerve wracking also because you're not really sure when the film starts, if they're going to love it or hate it. And luckily, it seems like everyone's really been loving it. And that's really it's amazing and incredibly validating that all the work I've done for the past few years and everything I've put my cast and crew through and asking them to do has all been worth it. And yeah, it's been awesome in general. Yeah, cool. So thanks for answering that. And I realize I used the word released. So it's been it's out. It it premiered at Fantastic Fest. But what mm -hmm. happens now, um, as far as getting it to the general public and stuff? What, are, what are you looking to do? Or what happens now, now that this part of the process is done? So XYZ has come on as the sales rep for the film, which is amazing. I love a lot of the other films that they've helped get out into the world and it, it feels like a really good match for everybody and we're exploring the options and I'm open to you know whatever especially in this day and age a theatrical release even without COVID was still not necessarily the best route for every film and so I'm open to different I'm open and <laughs> I, I don't have a closed-minded view of it must be the typical go to theaters and then DVD and then this and that. Like I, I understand that times are just different and the audience is taking things in a different way. So I'm excited to hear what the options are and then we're all going to figure out the best route for us that we think a lot of people can see it. Cool. Yeah. And I think it, you know, certainly seeing it in a theater would be fantastic. Um, you know, beautiful scenery and seeing it on the huge screen, but also, I think it's there's something very cozy and intimate about it, too. So I can see how how it'd be nice just, you know, around a, a fire or just how it can evoke like a warm holiday, fun, joyful experience in, in the home, too. So, yeah. yeah, it's nice to have all those options. Yes. A couple of questions I had. One was, now that you have finished it and you're you're looking back at the experience, what do you think you would give as advice to like Maria just starting <laughs> the process of making the film to help you, I don't know, either relieve anxiety or just uh, a pep talk or anything come to mind there? Gosh, that's a great question. I feel like there are a lot of things that I would probably do differently, but I'm not mad about anything. <laughs> and I think generally I did a lot to prepare, which I was really glad that I did. I spent a lot of time on set leading up to the film, just working as either a second AC or as a, just a set PA to prepare just to be in that atmosphere and also kind of either learn from directors I was working for and steal stuff from them or realize what wasn't working that people were trying to do and not do those things. I guess I would just reassure myself at night after filming that like you, you did everything you could to prepare and you don't have to worry like you because <laughs> I, I, I do think it, it all it all worked out but there were definitely certain nights when 
we finished filming and I would wonder like, did we even get a scene that is coherent and can be edited together? And that was definitely scary, but I, I feel like my whole crew really had my back on set. And I thought that we created an atmosphere where if someone had an idea, they could whisper it to me and it wasn't that, you know, I was like the boss and no one else could talk ever. Uh, and I was really glad that people felt like they could put in more than just being a gaffer and working with the lighting, but they can also whisper a little idea to me about how to move a prop around and just make the scene a little bit better. So yeah, I, I think I would just reassure myself that I have a great cast and crew and I did the work and you can sleep better tonight than you I probably slept most <laughs> nights. Yeah, I love listening to other podcasts, especially about like creative process and collaboration with people. When I think like um, I listen to the Better Call Saul uh, podcast and they uh, talk about, yeah, all the different folks that, you know, help get a production together and how much that cross-pollination can really enhance, you know, a production when you're willing, the director's willing to listen and play around with ideas can really make something beyond even being well-prepared like that. Or even being well-prepared seems like that lends like an ease into experimentation. Yeah, it's like working really hard to build this like base platform that we're all then going to play on top of and build on top of and everybody is adding to this, but it felt like the biggest part of my job was just creating that strong foundation that we can all feel safe on top of and work with. And that made it more creatively freeing to know that there was always something to fall back on. There was always those specific lines of dialogue but if someone wanted to try something then let's go for it or we have a shot list but if this shot's just not working for whatever reason because of lighting or it's just going to be too long to set up then let's scrap it and go to something else and it, it knowing that we can change direction as we're going because we are so well prepared is very freeing but you have to put in the the preparation in order to feel that freedom to abandon it whenever you want to or feel like you should, could or should. Yeah, speaking of preparations, I spoke with your composer, Robert Allaire, um, just about 20 minutes ago. He had a lot of compliments on how well prepared and what great ideas you had around the sound design and the music, the different choices that you made for bringing in songs that were already recorded and then bringing him in to for the composition. and. I was really, really in love with the songs that you chose, especially. And I was wondering if you could share the process behind choosing uh, this pre-recorded material that I was trying to talk with him about. It's just like this these vintage covers of Christmas time music, but different than what you usually hear. And it, that really stood out to me in a really positive way. Whenever I do stuff with music, even if it's, I mean, starting from when I would edit families' wedding videos, I would always gravitate towards using more vintage songs because I felt like it somehow made the piece feel timeless and not like, oh yeah, that was the song that everyone loved that year, even though it was terrible. And so I knew that going more vintage was my safety net for making something try to feel timeless, whether it was like the wardrobe or just the music. So I knew that I was going to be looking for something that was 70s or 60s. And I just searched online for months and months 
looking for different songs. And I finally found one that I thought worked. And it was interesting because the first song I found that I knew I wanted to use was actually in a place that originally Bob was supposed to create and compose music for. But I put the song in as a test into the edit and then export it and showed him that sequence being like, what do you think if we did this instead? And he loved it. And I, it was a, definitely a balance of trying to make sure that if there was a place that was simple and easy that I could just put a song there whether it's just like little background music when they're at the dinner table, that I wanted to try to find something there so that Bob had more time to go through and really finesse all those other moments in the movie that I needed him to focus on. So it was that back and forth when the robbers are there and it's dark, but sometimes playful. And he really helped with guiding the audience knowing when it was okay to laugh, despite the fact that this was a dark situation with his music cues and giving him the time to really work on that versus just creating a bunch of random tracks to be background music. So I did work really hard to not only find those songs, but then also make them feel like they all fit together still. And I think most of them were recorded originally in the 60s. So that's helped make them all kind of feel united, even though they weren't like from the same album or anything. Yeah. Congratulations, great job on that. I just, I'm like, I'm a singer, but also like a big music fan, and I especially love music from the 60s. But I, I used Timeless when I was talking with Robert because I sang between what he composed and the, the song selection and the film itself. It really felt like Timeless and not like, oh yeah, this was made in. Mm-hmm. So between everything that you did and also with the the costuming and set design and everything, it did kind of feel like this. It's just nobody's going to be thinking that they can't relate to the space and then the family dynamics, a friend's dynamic. I really like the, the, the main couple. I felt like they just had this really fun, playful relationship and kind of remind she didn't remind me are you a parks and recreation fan at all yes okay (laughs) so i wasn't getting an april ludgate vibe but i was getting a bit of an andy dwyer from him you know kind of like goofy well-meaning and then Mm -hmm. uncle i can't remember the character's name uncle andy okay I was getting a bit of a sweet Ron Swanson vibe off of him. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was writing the dialogue for each character, I thought about how their cadence of speaking would sound. And I definitely imagine more of a Ron Swanson talking when I was writing the Uncle Andy character. So you you definitely picked up on that. It was (laughs) inspired by his cadence of speaking specifically, for sure. Whether it's just little subtle things like instead of saying don't, he would say I do not. It's like things like that that I was trying to really make sure everybody had a specific way of talking as a part of their personality. Yeah, about the writing and the character development, there was just something so natural about everyone's relationships. How much was that in the writing and then... Um, How much was it sort of developed as you cast and got everybody together? Most of it was in the writing in terms of like Madison and her mom. 
that was very heavily inspired by arguments I had with my mom in high school and that dinner table argument. A lot of those lines originally in the script were basically taken from diary entries from when I was like 18 trying to write my college acceptance essay. So being able to reference that material specifically helped and being able to kind of even sit with my mom and ask her like, hey, if I was going to do something really stupid like this, what would you say to me? And that's how I kind of helped develop the the sequence or the the dialogue when the police are with them and, and the mom's arguing with her daughter. So a lot of those moments were just written and they just took it to another level of amazing and believable. And I think that it was really the robbers when I cast Sonny as Patrick. He was the first person I cast and locked in. And at the time, I was just really excited that I had someone who had been on a show before because he was on Mindhunter. And I was just so excited that it was like a real actor (laughs) in my movie. And not knowing how many other real actors I was going to actually lock in. And I thought, oh, man, like I need to actually give him some more to do. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not utilizing his talents. And that's actually where I added some of those scenes in where he's like pulling up at the antique store and when he's at the gas station. Those were things I wrote and added in after I cast him. And it also helped address another note I was getting from friends and family where they were saying, I feel like I want the robbers to come into this movie earlier. And so that was like a way I could do it without having them just enter the house earlier. I could still kind of put them sprinkled throughout. And then it helped build that tension and reminding people of like, there's a darkness to come and it's just around the corner. Thank you so much for taking just a few minutes out of your your press day to speak with me, Maria. I love the movie. I look forward to sharing it with everyone and have a great rest of your press day. Thank you, have a good one. Okay, ciao. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode of Vibrant Visionaries with Heidi Bennett and my guest, Maria Bissell. I look forward to sharing several more interviews from Fantastic Fest coming up in the next couple of months. And our Parks and Recreation rewatch continues as well. So lots of fun and insightful conversations coming up soon. You can find everything podcast related at vibrantvisionaries.com and you can find my coaching and creative consulting info at heidibennett.com and check out our Patreon channel. We've got new tiers, new perks, new creative cohorts, a book club, all sorts of awesome stuff happening over there on the Patreon. We've got our Discord channel and all sorts of other good stuff. So check out the show notes for links to everything. Thanks to David Smith for editing this podcast, and we'll see you next time. Ciao!